Welcome to Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. If you're ready to increase your confidence in conversations and conflict, deepen your self-awareness, expand your connectedness, and enrich your relationship with yourself and other humans you care about, and even those you wish you didn't, you're in the right place. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor. And part of the work that I do is a podcast called Emotional Savvy. And it's important for us to have emotional savvy. And you know that I talk a lot about toxic people, relationships with toxic people, whether that's our partner, an ex, a parent, a coworker, a friend. These people are having a negative effect on our bodies. It's not in our heads. (laughs) It really is happening in our bodies. And I wanted to talk to you today about those things. I want to make them real and validate them for you. Chronic stress is a big problem. Chronic anxiety is a big problem. And we really need to be thinking about these things because when you're with a hijackal, one of those toxic, difficult, and often disturbing people that I talk about, you are going to be under chronic stress and may well have chronic anxiety, or at least you're going to have some fear or what we call hypervigilance. You're always looking over your shoulder, always wondering what's coming next. What do I need to be aware of? What do I need to be prepared for? And that causes chronic stress for sure. So it's very important for us to think about the effects of this. And I want to give you some scientific information because it's not just an idea. It's not just me saying this. It really is some scientific validity behind all of this. It may be happening to you. It may have happened to you. And there is healing that can occur. You really can heal. You'll need some help. That's what I do in the world. I have clients all over the world that I help through video conferencing. But help is available and you can heal. So I just want to give you some parameters about this, how it actually works. And when you're under chronic stress and you're under some fear, some anxiety, some concern all the time, some some really low-level stuff that's going on every minute of every day, looking over your shoulder, being concerned. Maybe your shoulders are making their way up to your earlobes by the end of the day. And when you do that over time, certain things happen in your brain. And I want to talk about two of them. This chronic stress and anxiety will cause an important part of your brain that is connected to short-term memory to shrink. This part of your brain is called the hippocampus. And when that shrinks, you know that feeling like you can't quite grasp something? If somebody's telling you all the steps and you don't really feel like you got it, or you begin to feel that you're losing your mind, that you're forgetting things and important things slip by, and then the hijackal tells you that you really are not as maybe worthwhile or as bright as you really are. Yeah, when that happens, if you've been under this chronic stress and tension, and you have fear in your life most of the time, the body releases a chemical, a hormone called cortisol. And this is engaged with both the hippocampus, 
and with the amygdala, which is the other part of the brain that we're going to talk about today. So I just want to validate for you, you know, this is happening to you because you are with a hijackal, a relentlessly difficult, toxic person, or you were raised by one. And the good news is that you can change all this. It's up to you. I know it's not easy. I'm not making it out to be easy. I don't want you to think that I don't understand. I've been with one. I know what it took to get myself and my children away. I know all of that. So it's I don't make light of that at all. But I want you to understand what's happening to your brain because you don't want to feel less than, less than the capacity that you had before. You don't want to be forgetting things. And when your hippocampus shrinks, that can happen. So stress causes the production of cortisol. And this decreases the volume of the hippocampus. That's what makes it shrink. So it's very important to get away from the chronic stress. Now, you know that I always say, when you're in that situation with a hijackal, you want to do your own work first. You know, find out who you are, what you want, how you can respond differently to it. Get your strength back, your confidence back, some sense of self-esteem and self-empowerment so that you can deal with it. And that means beginning to take back what it is you need to do to not feel this chronic stress and anxiety. I'm going to give you some ideas for that. Now, the other piece that I was talking about, the amygdala, this is the reptilian brain. This is the piece that keeps us surviving. This is the piece that responds to fear and to hate and really strong emotions. And, and it, it affects your heart rate and your breathing, right? You know what I'm talking about. It affects your heart rate and your breathing. So this little triangle of the hormone cortisol and how it affects the hippocampus and the amygdala are very important for you to know. Yeah, maybe you don't need to know the science, but you need to know that when you have been with one, you know, I was raised by a hijackal mother. I don't know a moment when I didn't have it until I, I left and married and left a hijackal and eventually learned that uh-uh, that's not going to happen in my life. No, 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 you're not going to shrink my hippocampus and, and render my amygdala into some form that is completely hypervigilant anymore. And, you know, that amygdala is the fight or flight place. And what happens to it as the hippocampus diminishes, what happens to the amygdala is that it, it becomes enlarged. And when you're stressed, you do some things to protect yourself. And you may be familiar with these. You go into denial. You pretend it's not really happening or you pretend it's not really so bad. Familiar? Well, sure, that's protective. That's what you're, you're trying to do. You're trying to protect yourself. And then you justify any little moment when the hijackal was good or any good qualities the hijackal has. And you diminish what it is that's causing you the stress and the anxiety. So you start pressing that down. And, and then you develop what I call a selective focus. You know, you, you ignore the abuse and you talk about, oh, I remember one time when we were on vacation and how wonderful it is. Now I had a client once who came into my office. I'd been seeing her for a couple of months and she had a big red mark across her face. 
And here's an example of what I've been talking to you about. And I said to her, what happened? She said, he hit me with a, with a hairbrush. I said, oh, but she said, oh, but I know he loves me. I know he loves me. I said, how do you know that? She said, well, three weeks ago, we had a big blowout. And then he came and told me he loved me and he brought me flowers. You see? went way in the past to justify that she was loved and yet here was the evidence on her face that she was being abused so when i said to her well what would this be then would that be a love tap and she just dissolved because of course she recognized that she was in denial and that she was justifying the good moments in her life and trying to hold on to those when really she'd been hurt way too many times so the good news is that you can you can get your hippocampus functioning again and you can reduce the size of your amygdala but here's what you have to do first of all you've got to start doing things that cause you to have quiet meditate visualize on good things spend time in the silence spend time in nature and allow your shoulders to come back down from your earlobes and actually have some time. Take a yoga class. Learn to meditate. Find really supportive friends that just love you and support you. Not that you have to be talking about how awful it is with your hijackle. No, find interests. Find things that support you and, and that you're, you're keen about and you have some passion for and do that. And yes, I know finances may be that the hijackle is controlling them and doesn't want you to do all those things but you'll find a way because you matter and you must treat yourself as though you matter you must take that time you know when I was a young mom with three children and I was on my own with them I had a sign that I put on my bathroom door and it said I would go in and have a bath that was we had one bathroom and that was the only place that I could go I had almost no money certainly no disposable income and i had a sign on the door that said only knock if you're bleeding <laughs> because i had to do something to have that peace working full-time being a single mom doing a phd three kids not enough income yeah a lot of stress and i had left enormous stress so it's important for us to understand that you can turn this around and you can find little ways to catch your breath and release that and yes there are therapeutic things that you could do too and we could certainly talk about that but i want you to understand that this foggy mind and all the things that are happening this creeping shoulders and anxiety and concern and hypervigilance not knowing what's coming all of those things are hurting your brain and you deserve better you always have deserved better because you matter. So I'm just sharing these things with you today because I want you to know that you matter. I want you to treat yourself knowing that you matter and that you will, in fact, do some things to reduce the chronic stress, to reduce the anxiety, to reduce the overwhelm. And you will get help when you need it. You will reach out and find it. I'm always here for you. Go and visit forrelationshiphelp.com. If these things are making sense to you and you know that, that all of a sudden you realize I am actually damaging my brain, I'm not willing to let any situation do that. I matter. I deserve better. And I know you do. Talk soon. 
Good morning and afternoon and evening, wherever you are. And I'm so glad you're here for Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and this is my wonderful guest. You may have listened to his episode before, and he was so informational, so insightful. We're having another go. So welcome to Dr. Gans Ferens. Hey, thanks, Roberta. It's always glad to talk to you. Yes, and I'm glad you are because, you know, what I find is wonderful, Gans, is that you're always so down to earth. And, you know, as you say in some of your materials, you don't talk about things you haven't experienced. And I really appreciate that because that's the same with me, you know. Mm -hmm. We've walked through it. We've had mm -hmm. that, had the experience, and we've got either the, the, our favorite T-shirt or the nastiest video in the world. <laughs> And we have walked through it. So let me tell people a little bit about you. Sure. For over 25 years, Dr. Gans Ferentz has been working in the field of helping individuals and couples and families and corporations reduce their stress. We want some of that, right? And improve their relationships and enjoy more success. So as I mentioned, he has this wonderful, straightforward, down-to-earth, no-nonsense way of getting these messages across. And we're very interested in that today. Uh, Dr. Gans is an author and a registered psychologist. And he's written a book, The Me Factor. You can learn all about that in his other interview because we talked about that. So just go and look for Dr. Gans Ferentz and then turn your attention to his very being here today <laughs> because we're going to talk about something we all experience, even if we like to pretend we don't. And that's the topic of stress. And then we're going to talk about chronic stress mm. and what that actually is doing to our bodies, minds, and relationships. Mm -hmm. So, again, here we are talking about things we have personally experienced, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, this is it. And I think, you know, uh, I, the truth is everybody's experienced stress to some degree or, or another. And uh, it's almost an epidemic now in terms of chronic stress because the fact is, our bodies are wonderful machines and, you know, we, uh, one of the evolutionary advantages we have as humans is that we are able to adapt to a bunch of stuff. So that's what enables us to live in all sorts of places all over the world, all sorts of different environments. But the, the downside of that is that we can adapt to some stuff that's not always that good for us. We just get used to it. We stop paying attention to it and we just, you know, all of a sudden that becomes the new normal, but our body is still feel the impact of that and then like like you said then it plays out in our relationships our job performance everywhere else too mm -hmm. and if we pretend we don't have any stress i do that some days you know i don't have any stress why would i have stress to podcast a television show and a whole bunch of clients why would i possibly have stress? Why would you? <laughs> <laughs> so um but generally i don't mm -hmm. feel stressed uh, but how does a person actually identify that they have stress? Well, yeah, because that's, that's the good point, Roberta, because we don't always feel it. We're not always aware of it. But I think, you know, one of the things that I do is I look for sort of external markers, okay? Mm -hmm. So if I find, for example, um, you know, I'm not sleeping well or I'm not, you know, my mind is kind of fuzzy. I'm not as sharp as I like to be. I don't have the same energy or the same passion for things that I enjoy. 
um, you know, a big one in relationships. Like I got, my kids are like, my oldest is 18 and I got a, a 14 year old and I find when I'm really kind of irritable, <laughs> right? Um, and it, you know, a lot of times as parents who say, oh yeah, well the kid is stressing me out, right? But eh, really it's more like I'm carrying a lot around a lot of stress and their little contributions just, you know, this, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak, right? right? So, you know, I look for these external things, and when I'm when I'm feeling these these things, I realize, okay, you know what? Something is wrong with my state. I'm probably overstressed. I need to do some things to look after myself to reduce my stress level, so I can manage stress better. But then I can also start to look at the sources of stress in my life to see where where this stuff is coming from, because really, we you know. I kind of look at it this way. We have the external stress that we're aware of, you know, like the traffic or the kids screaming or whatever. But then I call, you know, what I call sneaky stress or physiological stress, which is the stuff that happens in our bodies that we're not always aware of. And we can actually carry around a fairly big reservoir of stress without even knowing it. But then that affects our blood pressure, our heart rate, you know, can cause stuff like diabetes, chronic, chronic pain, all sorts of other things like that, that people don't always associate with that because they figure, well, I'm not feeling stressed, so I'm probably okay. Yes, and that's a really big point because we've got a lot of research that shows that many autoimmune type diseases right. are actually finding their basis in low-level chronic stress. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that may have some peaks and valleys in it. So we've had high stress, but we've actually elevated our stress level overall. Right. And that's when it starts to wear and tear on our bodies. You know, I, I often use this example, Gans, that a hundred years ago in our town, if there were a fire, we got by and everybody was on notice with a horse, with a tiny bell, somebody was ringing. Mm -hmm. And if we realize now that in order to get our attention, a fire truck has variable sirens, variable lights, you know, it's got all this stuff going and we've got our earphones in, we don't hear it anyway. Oh yeah. Right. And so that elevation of just the level of sound yep. puts the autonomic nervous system into yeah. a stress response just when we step out in traffic and we often don't take that into consideration, do we? Well, and, and here's the thing, right? Because everybody else is doing, dealing with it. We think it's normal and it is normal, like normal in terms of the statistical term, which is average, right? I mean, everybody's going through it, but normal is not healthy and is definitely not optimal. No. So, right. Because everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is experiencing it. It's normal. Doesn't mean it's good for us. Uh, you know, one of the big factors for me, like, and you, you talked about the autonomic nervous system, right? And I like to explain this to my, you know, when I'm doing like seminars or with clients one-on-one -on -one or whatever, I explain it in terms of the fight or flight response, right? right. A lot of people understand that. Yeah. Fight, flight, or freeze is really what it is. Or faint. <laughs> or faint. Yeah, that's right. Like when kids are faint. <laughs> so play dead. Um, so, so when, when you know, just to remind people, if you're walking through the bush, you're in the woods somewhere, and you hear a growl and a twig snap behind you, your body does some stuff automatically <laughs> to make sure you survive that moment, right? Your heart rate increases, your blood pressure goes up, all the blood flows from your extremities to your core, your certain parts of your brain shut down, and just the you're going to run, you're going to fight, or you're going to play dead so that you can survive the moment. Well, the thing is that our brain, as good as it is, as smart as it is, it's not super smart with some of this other stuff. So there are things in our modern society that trigger that same response 
but there's no resolution. Like if we hear the, tig, the, the, the twig break and the growl and we look and the bear is there and we survive it, our bodies have a way of resetting. But in our modern society, you know, our cell phones goes off, like they go off like <laughs> yeah. a second, right? Or the traffic is bad or the interest rate goes up or we have a fight with the boss or the spouse or something else happens. We have the same physiological response, but there's no, because there's no bear, <laughs> nothing's trying to eat us. We don't really have the same process for the resolution. So we keep ratcheting, it, ratcheting up the baseline level of stress right. that we're carrying around all the time. And the body starts to fatigue mm -hmm. based on being in that high level of arousal for so long. Yeah, something has to give. And the body takes care of that, um, unfortunately, often quite quietly in the beginning. Right. And so we've got this wear and tear that's constant. And then finally, that last thing mm -hmm. that camel's back straw mm -hmm. <laughs> says, oh, my goodness, I don't feel well. And, and that's a problem. And back to what you were saying about stressors that we have, um, we often don't realize that many times in our early life, and I want to talk to you about this, and you would know I would, because when I talk about hijackles, you know, those mm -hmm. difficult people um, and toxic people, mm -hmm. that in, in the life of a hijackle or in the life of someone who was raised by a hijackle, there is enormous stress right there when you're tiny. Absolutely. Tiny. And then if you become a hijackal, and you know, those that's my term that includes antisocials, borderlines, narcissists, and histrionics. But if you become that way because of your early life, and, and people do, it's not like people set out to be like that. <laughs> you know, they were set up for it in their mm -hmm. early life. That comes with its own stress. And Absolutely. then if you're living with a person like that, that comes with its own stress. Because just imagine, if you have a hijackal parent, mm. you can't please them. Nothing is safe. You're always on guard. That's right. And so you're always looking over your shoulder. You're hypervigilant, hypersensitive. You know, and you know, with that, with that level of stress, what it does... It, what it does to us and what it produces in us um, is that we become extremely overly sensitive, hypersensitive oh, yeah. mm -hmm. to neglect and criticism and f perceived failure. And so we're on edge to not have that happen, but we're also on edge because we're kind of expecting it to happen. Well, yeah. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because we're expecting it to happen and we're so hyped up somebody looks at us the wrong way. It's like, what's going on? Right. And then, you know, you're off to the races with your, with your relationship. Yeah. And that plays into the fight or flight or faint or freeze. Mm -hmm. Because if I have been raised in a situation where there was childhood neglect or, mm -hmm. or um, perhaps I just could never be good enough. I was raised in that. <laughs> um, then you're always on the stress of, what can I do? What can I do? How can I keep the giants happy? I'm this yeah. little person and I'm supposed to figure out this incredible thing because somehow it's supposed to be my job to keep them happy. Right. And you don't know how, you have no skills. So you begin doing things before you have the, the logical, linear, rational thought. You're just trying to keep the giants happy. Oh, yeah. And it's exhausting. I mean, we have a, an influx, an increase, a, a surge of childhood disease. Yep. 
And wow, I mean, not only external pressures to do well in school or to avoid bullies or all of that kind of thing, but it could be coming from home, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, if we're, if we're trying to appease or keep everybody safe or happy, well, we're trying to keep ourselves safe by keeping everybody else happy, right? We're trying to make sure the environment is okay. And when we're doing that, your state of arousal is super high. I mean, it's, it's really a great recipe for burnout. Um, so, you know, kids are showing up by the time they hit adulthood, they're done. You know what I mean? They're, they're exhausted. I, I've had that feeling. I mean, I, I kind of half joke that I raised my parents. Right? Mm-hmm. I think and, all, all of us do at Hijacko Parents. Right. You know what I mean? And so what happens is you have, you have a child who has the responsibility, who's been given the responsibility of looking after the emotional well-being of the adults or other kids, Backward. but they have, oh, totally. But, you know, you got no skill, you have no experience, you have no resources, you have no power in the situation. So you're responsible. It's, you know, you're always being blamed, but you have no way to fix it, right? Oh. And so you're just always in this heightened state of arousal. And yeah, you, then you, you know, wear and tear on your, you know, nervous system, your endocrine system, your, you know, circulatory system, as well as the relationships that, you know, the people who um, have the misfortune of <laughs> coming across us sometimes have to deal with, right? Yes. And, you know, I was, I was reading some great research the other day, and I want to talk about it more later, but when there's stress and then there's isolation, oh is a really very difficult combination. Mm-hmm. And when you are perhaps an only child or a lonely child, and you are having the stress of trying to keep these giants happy, but you're isolated. Like for me, I, I was a latchkey latch kid before there was that concept, mm-hmm. right? Because, and my mother one day decided that she should stay home and be a good mother, stay home from work. Oh my goodness. Oh, I wanted her to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And I told her so. It was so awful. I'd rather be that latchkey kid That's right. than come home to you. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so she went back to work and she was happier. She wasn't any less a hijackle, but she was happier, which helped everybody. Well, you got you had you had less less of her in a day too. So that was probably good. That was hugely good. Yeah. But it still produced that isolation. Yeah. Because you came home, you were alone. As mm-hmm. an only child, I was alone. There were two giants one of me somehow i'm supposed to keep them both happy they both have hijackal tendencies one of them is extremely passive aggressive the other one is passive aggressive hijackal oh my goodness where to look how to step what to do you know and as you said i mean immediately you and i happen to have the insight to go whoa this is not right there's something really wrong with this but we are called forward to take care of them to figure yep. things out i bet that you had the same experience as i did where you're oh going, absolutely where you're going you know that doesn't make any sense mom you know you know what dad said was this he didn't say what mm-hmm. just made you ballistic and you know no wonder we do the work that we do no kidding because we've lived it from the inside out and the bottom up yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, there's another, there's another layer to that. I think for most people, uh, I don't know if it was your case, but for sure it was my case. Um, the isolation gets worse because you're also not allowed to talk about what's going on at home. 
Oh, right? yes. You yeah. can't tell the parents, you can't, or you're not the parents, you can't talk to your friends about it. You can't have friends over because your house is too crazy, right? But, uh, but also you can't tell anybody at school, you can't tell your teachers, you can't, you know, so there's almost like no help. I mean, help truly is available for people, everybody who's listening. You can't actually talk about it. But that's the message we get from, and, you know, whether it's a parent or an abusive spouse or even like a, you know, what I call terrorist kid, right, in your life you can actually reach out and get help, but it feels like you're isolated. It feels like no one would understand. And, you know, most of these folks that are, you know, have this personality construct, they are really good at manipulating. Do you know what I mean? They are the heroes in the community. Everybody loves them. They're, you know, they look like the perfect person. And so you kind of look crazy when you say, well, no, it was kind of a crappy situation to tell you the truth. Yeah, and you know that plays into what I I say about this because of course I spend my days talking to people about this and and I say that hijackals paint a public picture of perfection mm-hmm. while creating a private place of pain at home. Good line, love so that. So that when you go to tell somebody about it, not someone like Dr. Gans and I because we've lived it, we see it, we have radar for it, mm-hmm. but you go to tell someone. A helping professional who has no way to do this, you go to tell them. And I remember doing this, Gans, in the beginning. I tried to tell somebody, and the answer was, Oh, what a terrible thing to say about your mother. How could you be so ungrateful? Yes, yeah. like, Oh, how could you go around talking about your parents that way? So I quickly learned to grin and bear it, you know, and mostly grimace and bear it. But it was crazy making behavior yeah, totally. and it's long-term crazy making behavior and that equals stress. Absolutely. So I, I want to go from, ahead. For me. Yeah. I mean, totally. I, I mean, I remember, you know, my dad died about 25 years ago and I remember the funeral and everybody was just, Oh, it's such a wonderful guy, just a pillar community and everybody loved him. I said, okay, well, that's good. And I let it, I let it play out. Right. Because even other members of my family had this whole different experience and it's mm-hmm. like, well, my experience was very different, you know, and, and you, you talk about the long-term effects of that. I mean, I've been in therapy about 28 years now, and I'm, I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to continue to talk to my psychologist because it is very good and it helps me grow and helps me, you know, stay positive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of work that I had to do to get over some of the, uh, the conditioning and the beliefs and, you know, the, the self-identity around some of that stuff, because the, the main tool I find with the hijackals and then these, these types of people is manipulation and like sort of like withholding love, you know oh, what I mean? Yes. So that oh, they yeah. can, you know, they can kind of, you know, I'll give you a little bit, you know, they'll withhold a little bit of praise and withhold and they'll give you just enough, but then throw a little insult on the back end. Right. Oh, so yeah does go right to the core of your identity. Yes. And, and one of the t- things that you were bringing up that we call in the literature being the scapegoat child, mm-hmm. you can be in a family with several children. One will be the golden child who can mm-hmm. do nothing wrong, and then there'll be a scapegoat child who can, can't do anything right. Mm-hmm. And you can be having vastly different experiences in the same family. And, you know, I think it's really important for us to realize that if we've lived in that situation as children and been raised in it as young adults, 
And then we're not aware of what our radar is and isn't, and we go out and start choosing mates. Unfortunately, we're going to choose one like that. Because comfortably uncomfortable, it's somehow familiar. We don't really know why it's so awful because we don't have that functioning brain yet to be able to figure all that out at the time. And we haven't gone back and had a look at it. And so there we are, and we choose another one. I've had people who have come to me who've been married to three, one woman, four of them in a row uh, each time, of course, thought it was going to be better, thought she would be able to love them enough to have them change, (laughs) uh, fix them, um, Mm. save them, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really, really something we need to notice because unfortunately the research shows us their numbers are growing. Yeah. Yeah, I could could see that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and when I, when I work with people and I talk to them about, you know, relationships and choosing partners and stuff, uh, I I say a couple things. One is what you see is what you get. Do you know what I mean? Like this, this, this is not, don't, you know, don't fall into that old trap that we do. You know, women see a guy and think, okay, I can fix him. I can change him. Right. Yeah. And the woman, like the guy says, you know, she's always going to be just like this and she'll never change, right? And so we don't want to fall into that that trap. And yeah. the next thing I say is, you know, whatever you whatever you did to get them, you have to keep doing to keep them. And so, you know, think about the work you're putting in at the front end and understand it's not going to get better as you go forward. Yeah, well, let, let's just talk about that in a little more depth for a minute because mm-hmm. what you see is what you get. In the case of hijackals, not so much. So you've got to hang in. I always tell people when they ask, I wish they ask more frequently, but they don't because they're head over heels in love and everything's wonderful. But they'll say, how long should you be with someone before you make a commitment to them? And I say, one entire trip around the sun one year because a hijackal, if they have those tendencies, usually cannot sustain the love bombing for that long. So what you see is not what you get in the case of a hijackal. You're going to see the big love bombing. Oh, he's my soulmate. She's the most perfect woman. And you were all just taken in by the, per- the hijackal who can read you really, really well, knows where your insecurities, vulnerabilities are, you know, gives you everything that you want as quickly as possible because you'll always know if somebody tries to rush you into something they say on the first date i just know i'm going to marry you or i i know that you know we should do this you're the best thing that ever happened to me and they want to marry you move in with you or get you pregnant you run if it happens in the first year because it isn't what you see is what you'll get it's what you see is the bait and you're going to end up in really dire straits with a cellmate, not a soulmate. Um, and that's not going to be good for you, right? Well, no, absolutely. And I, and I realize, you know, like, as I was saying that, I realized, yeah, what you see is what you get if you hang in there long enough, right? Because, yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right. I, I, I say the character cannot hide. It will show oh, up eventually. Nice so you, you have to put in the work. You have to pay attention. And, and I also realize when I say that, you know, I've had to deal with these people long enough. I can pre- I can spot them pretty quick now, but but that's not the average, right? That's not that most people. So I'm glad you corrected me on that because that's absolutely true. You have to put in the time because you will see what's going on. And I like I like that that idea of the love bomb because like if all this stuff is coming at you and it's so yeah. intense, it feels so good. Yeah. Well, that's also how you create addiction. 
Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's that dopamine spike, right? Because it's like, oh, you're lonely. Let me treat you so good and you, you'll never leave me, right? So it's just a, like a higher level form of manipulation. Sure. And you know what? They're good at all five love languages in the beginning, if you like that model. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'm going to give you everything I have because mm -hmm. I'm going to give it to you in the shortest possible time to get you so that then I can take away the facade mm -hmm. and I can let down and be. I like what you said, character cannot hide, but you have to hang in long enough for the yep. mask to fall away. Absolutely. So I want to refer to some research. You know, I'm a transplanted Canadian here in San Diego, but there you are in Edmonton. And I recently saw that Dr. Gabor Mate uh, received a really high award in Canada. And I'm thrilled for that because his work over all these years has been so wonderful. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to just bring up something that his research showed, which is that women, and this is specific to women in his research, is that women who are kept in stress and isolation, they have to be both things, women kept in stress and isolation are nine times more likely to have breast cancer than wow. other women. Wow. So we, we realize then the absolute effect of severe stress. Mm -hmm. And while you're trying to make someone happy, going back to our people pleasing, you don't realize the stress that's involved in you doing that because you've got in your head that this is a good thing. I'm being a wonderful person. I'm being compassionate. I'm giving to this person. I'm giving them all that I have. You know, and there's one, there's two phrases in the world, Gans, I really like to strike from the language. And one of them is give until it hurts. That's right. I totally agree with you. <laughs> you know, like that mm -hmm. is just crazy making, horrible, codependent, people pleasing, doormat making nonsense. <laughs> But you may have been raised with that because your parents demanded that or a parent demanded that. So there you go, you know, going the extra 50 miles to try and make somebody happy. Meanwhile, you're depressing your immune system. You're, you're being worn down. Your body's saying, no, stop this. And you're saying, no, we can get it through. We can push through. We're we stronger. Love conquers all. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a huge thing. So we have um, about seven minutes left. So let's talk about what this does to relationships. Mm -hmm. What does chronic stress do to a relationship aside from the hijackal nature of people? The stress alone. Mm -hmm. Well, let's look at it this way, right? If you flip it around and think about what works well, okay? So I got a saying... I say the better the better you feel, the better you do. And I think that that's pretty true. If you're feeling good, you're typically going to do well in life. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the opposite is also true. If you don't feel well, you're not going to do as well. So if you're dealing with chronic stress, your body is wearing out. As you mentioned, your immune system is taxed. So you're, you're picking up every little stray bug that floats through the air. Um, you're exhausted, you're not sleeping properly, you don't have the same kind of energy. So think about that and what it's like to be in a relationship with somebody that is feeling that or to be that person feeling it, right? You don't have energy to play with the kids. You don't have the drive to, like even sex drive will go, right? Um, you definitely don't have the drive to go out and do stuff or, or have these adventures that you might want to have or had earlier in your life. 
um, you're, you're not very much fun to be around because you're probably either really tired or pissed off most of the time. Um, so that is not good for any relationship, whether it's work, whether it's parenting or, but especially like any kind of romantic relationship. Uh-huh. But then what happens, the other layer is that if we're raised with this idea, if we don't know this, this concept that we're discussing today, we think something's wrong with us or we think it's the other person's fault. And so we kind of give them a hard time or we blame ourselves and take it in on our, on our insides. And so then we add a layer of guilt or anger or frustration or resentment or all of the above. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, a horrible, horrible setup because that just drives the stress up over and you're in this vicious cycle. So it's really, really hard on relationships to be in any kind of chronic stress situation. Yes. And while you're caught in that, you just think you're doing your best. You're mm-hmm. giving your best. But if you happen to be the one who's in chronic stress and the other person maybe isn't in chronic stress, then you're creating chronic stress in the relationship because you can't help but. So then you've got me and me and the we is nowhere in between mm-hmm. because I have needs and I need to draw from them. Uh, from my partner and my partner says but what about me (laughs) and we get into this no person's land in the middle where there's no we right and and so if i'm always needing my needs met and i'm not getting my needs met then the argument becomes that as opposed to what can we do and you know the thing that i say is well i say a lot but (laughs) about that is to have a healthy relationship we must have equality reciprocity and mutuality yes and that's the we functioning right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then the ingredients that we put into that love is never enough we have to put in honesty safety trust respect reliability good communication yeah all of that a willingness to discuss things that are tough ways Mm -hmm. to deal with conflict Uh, ways to be understanding and helpful, ways to give up our own instant gratification to move in the direction of our partner. Mm -hmm. That's how we create a we. But in this chronic stress situation, we are the only ones who can help ourselves. And Mm -hmm. we need to wake up and smell the herbal tea as quickly as possible. Maybe today, (laughs) right, Gans? Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, and and it's funny, you know, because you you mentioned at the beginning, my book, um, The Me Factor, and that's, that's the core of the system is like, we have to take responsibility for our own well being. Because if we're if we're in that state, if we're in that chronic stress state, our partner can't pull us out. You know what I mean? They, They can't, that's just not possible. We, I mean, they can, you know, maybe take us to a resort or something or, you know, the hospital maybe if we need to go there. But, you know, in terms of getting out, we have to take that responsibility to look after ourselves. We have to have healthy boundaries. We have to make sure we're getting exercise, sleeping right. We've got to eat properly. We got, I mean, just, you know, the basic housekeeping things of life we got to do. Because here's the thing, and, and this is people might get this, this analogy. So I, I pull out my keys and I'm walking up to my house and I put the key in the door and I turn the lock and I go in, right? I've done it thousands of times, right? So today I'm walking up to the house, but you know, I really got to go to the bathroom where a dog's chasing me. It's like, Oh no, what's going on? Oh, I can't find the keys. You know, it takes me way longer to do this simple task. Right. And sometimes I may not get it done. <laughs> because my state I'm over aroused <laughs> exactly <laughs> so because I'm over aroused I didn't lose I didn't lose the ability to do this right I I have that ability 
But because of my hyper arousal, my chronic state of stress or my heightened state of stress in that moment, I can't perform. Right. So, so it's not, it's not my fault. It's my state. And yeah. so my state covers up my ability to perform. So someone in a relationship that's, that's going through this, that has, has been dealing with chronic stress or dealing with really intense acute stress in the moment, they're done. You know what I mean? They, they really, you know, they, they don't have the ability as much as they want to try to really be able to be a good partner or a good parent or a good worker or whatever it might be. And so that's important for them to understand so they don't add another layer by beating themselves up for it. Right. So really what you're saying is we have to recognize when we're toast and get or out before of the we're toast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or we're still bread, get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So very important, self-responsibility, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way that we can do that is spending some time with ourselves. Yeah. And many people run from that. They love the busyness model. They feel really important and significant when they're really busy. Uh-huh. You know, I've been watching a little television and, and uh, things about relationship shows. I'm kind of fascinated by what people say. And, you know, they're 18 years old and they say, well, you know, could we do this? Oh, I'm too busy. And I'm like, what? What are you busy about at 18 years old that you right. not make time for your girlfriend, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, there's an answer to that. But, you know, it's that feeling. So it's really important stuff that we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Because you have to calibrate and monitor your own stress level. And don't yeah. pretend you don't have one. You know, we all have one. We may have conquered a lot of it and know how to go. It, you know, I always say we're never balanced. We're always balancing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you may have to look at your calendar every day and say, oh, I think I need to put a little wiggle room in there. I need to yeah. do something differently. So you're always balancing, always staying aware of what's happening so that you won't run into a negative chronic stress situation, have your body break down or have your relationship break down. Absolutely. And you know, what I find too, Roberta, is that, you know, once people kind of get the concept, then, then the work really starts because a lot of people really don't, okay, great. So now I I need to be more self-aware. What do I do now? Okay. You know, what, how do I become more self-aware? What do I do to build in, um, little spigots to bleed off that stress in my day. You know, uh, you know, a couple of things that I do, I did them this morning, actually. I worked out, right? And before we were able to jump on this call, I was actually, I had my journal out and I was writing in my journal doing some self-awareness work and you know, some time for myself because we do have, especially in our current um, modern culture, we have a lot of information that's coming at us all the time. You know, you talked about the fire engine example at the beginning. And, you know, it's, everybody knew you could hear the fire bell coming from, from forever, right? So at that time, our job, our task was to find things to do to stimulate ourselves, right? To, to get information. Now the task is how do I turn off the information coming at me? How do I create some quiet in my life and some solitude so I can actually think and, and, and process stuff? Adults only process in quiet and solitude. We, do, we can get a whole bunch of information but we can't really do anything with it until we have that quiet time by ourselves to actually let the brain kind of marinate and and breathe. And I suspect, well, I think this is how I experience it anyway. When I don't have that built into my day, then that's what I'm doing instead of sleeping. (laughs) The brain is just going, right? Exactly, and that's what I was going to say. You know, If you don't do it consciously while you're awake, 
the body will say, what do you think you're going to do? Sleep? No. Or they're going to process it during a very fitful night's sleep. And mm -hmm. you're going to wake up in a muddle too. Yeah, absolutely. So there's so many things we could talk about, Gans, but I just want to thank you for being with us. And, you know, we'll do this again in a few months and, and talk about something else. My guest today has been Dr. Gans Ferens from Edmonton, Alberta. He's the author of The Me Factor, Your Systematic Guide to Getting What the Hell You Want. I love that title. <laughs> and, and you want to read that book because it's important and it will help you understand some of these issues of chronic stress. So any words of wisdom before we go, Gans? Yeah, you know, I, I, the, the question I want everybody to really think about in their lives every day and with all things is, is this working for me? Is this working for me? And you have the right to decide that. No one gets to tell you if it's working for you or not. It has to work for you, and you get it. You, if it's not, you can try to tweak it and massage it, or you get the hell away from it. And that's that's my word of wisdom. That's what I try to live by. So, if you want to get the hell you want, you got to get the hell away from some things. <laughs> yes, many things sometimes. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. You're listening to Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. For more information about Dr. Gans's work, go to Dr. Gans, D-O-C-T-O-R-G-A-N-Z.com and uh, read his book, The Me Factor. You want to learn more about my work, go to forrelationshiphelp.com or my YouTube channel by the same name, For Relationship Help. Thanks again, Gans, and talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here for today's episode of Emotional Savvy. If you want to deepen your emotional savvy, make shifts in your relationships, and enjoy life and relationships more, work with me, Dr. Roberta Shaler. Get my books, enjoy my courses, or work with me directly. You can do that by visiting forrelationshiphelp.com, F-O-R, relationship, H-E-L-P.com, and subscribe to Tips for Relationships now. Don't miss a thing. Be empowered this week with more emotional savvy.